kind of. All right, here we go. Acts chapter 10, we are going to dig in uh, uh, in our final week of a rebel's guide to obedience. In verse 44, it says, while Peter was still saying these things. So just to catch you up in case you're a guest with us today and hadn't been in the entire series. Uh, Peter has this divine appointment with a guy named Cornelius. Cornelius is a Gentile. Peter's a Jew. They probably didn't even like each other very much, but God organized so that they would be together face to face. And then Cornelius says to Peter, all right, well, since the Lord got you here, go ahead and tell us what it is God has, uh, has you to tell us. And so what, what we talked about last week is Peter lays out the gospel for him. He says, you cannot earn salvation. You can't earn forgiveness. But the, that, that forgiveness is a gift of God. That it's by God's grace that you have been saved and not by anything that you would do in and of yourself. And so Peter's laying out the gospel. And so while Peter was still saying these things, the gospel, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Now, how cool is this? You don't think it's that cool because you're not a preacher. But I preach all the time. And what's going on here is that the Holy Spirit falls on Cornelius' house and Peter's not even at the end of the sermon yet. I mean, you realize how cool that is? All Cornelius' entire house gets saved, and Peter's like, hold on, I didn't even get to the good part. The good part's always at the end. He doesn't even give a salvation invitation. Everybody's like, we have heard enough. We are in, okay? They all raise their hands and surrender their life to Christ. And by the way, if you're going to receive if you're gonna receive Jesus as your Savior today, if you just go ahead and do it now, we could get out on time, all right? But you guys always wait to the end. So <laughs> one of the things that's kind of cool as I was reading over this is... Uh, for two weeks in a row, we didn't even give a salvation invitation at the end, you know, just kind of got to the end and prayed and sang a response song. And in those two weeks, in the Connect Center after the service, without even a salvation invitation from me as, as kind of a formal deal, we had 11 people surrender their life to Christ. Isn't that cool? All right. And then about three or four weeks ago, this is the best one. It's a Thursday night, and this cat comes in and gets his bulletin, and he just goes straight to the Connect Center the, the uh, countdown hadn't even started yet, all right? Uh, for, for half of you in the room, we run a countdown right up to 11.22 to let you know when it starts, but that's okay. Uh, so this guy comes walking in. There hadn't been a song, a sermon, anything, and this guy walks in and goes straight to the Connect Center and says, I can't wait the hour and a half. I need to surrender my life to Christ right now. And he, gets, and he surrenders his life to Jesus, and we ain't even have a service yet, so it's very biblical. So while Peter was still saying these things. So it's in the middle of a sermon. The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. Now, amazed can go two different ways, right? It's all in your, the inflection of your voice. Like somebody can say something to you and you can go, I'm amazed that you would say that. All right, that's one kind of amazed. And then there's this other kind of amazed where you're going, wow, that's amazing. Can I just tell you, for the last few weeks... I have stood amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and what he has been doing in us and through us and to us and among us. Because I'm going to tell you, God is still in the amazement business. And folks, I don't know why, but he has been doing some amazing things around here. Because you weren't here that first day, not the first day we opened, because any, you know, there's, there's a good year before you open anything. And about this time last year, when Petey and I came walking in the old Walmart for the very first time, and I stood back there in that corner, and it looked like the end of a Terminator 2 movie, okay? There's just like stuff hanging, and all of Tony Slayman's junk was all in here. And I'm standing back in that corner going, dear God, you think you might could plant a church in this place? 
And then in just, just the, since we've opened the doors, there's been about 350 people that have surrendered their life to the Lordship of Christ. Last weekend, 46 people surrendered their life to Christ. And you're not amazed, all right? Bubba didn't just make a putt and y'all go, oh, glory, okay? No, people. God's been doing amazing things in this place. Generations have been praying for revival. And for some reason, God said, all right, I'm just going to flex on 1122. Because here's the thing. Everybody gets his grace. Everybody gets his mercy. Everybody doesn't get his favor. And I promise you there are pastors praying harder than I am and studying harder than I am and better preachers than I am. I promise you, but for whatever reason, God has answered the prayer request of generations and generations for a revival in this community, and he's answering it with us and among us, and it's all about him, and it has nothing to do with us, and that should stir in us amazement. God is still in the amazement business. Amen? Now, these guys were counted on the other end of the amazement, all right? And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. I don't know if you know this, but whenever God begins to transform lives, church people from the very first church to today's church, they they get their feathers ruffled because God's doing things that they didn't, he didn't get their approval of. And so, in verse 46, for they were hearing them speaking in the in tongues, and extolling God. And then Peter declared, so Peter's watching these guys filled with the Holy Spirit, that they just received Christ. And so Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have, who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So what we're going to spend the rest of our time on is we're going to talk this morning about baptism, about what baptism is, about the command to believe and be baptized, to repent and be baptized. And the reason we did it on the day that we dedicated our kids is because we're going to talk about why at the Church of 1122 we dedicate our children and baptism is for a believer. We're going to talk about what baptism is and who it's for and when you should do it and how you should do it and all of those things. And here is my agenda. My agenda is if you claim Christ as your Lord, if you're a Christian, if you're a disciple, if you've surrendered your life to the Lordship of Christ and you've never been baptized as a believer then my agenda is by the end of the sermon that you would sign up to be baptized at the next time we do a baptism celebration. And let me just say this. Um, uh, if, if I offend your tradition, um, well, I, don't, I mean, I don't really intend to, but somehow I just do that. And then if you don't get offended by the end, and at the end of the service you'd like to come down, I could say something personally offensive to you so you can feel like a part of the whole group, okay? We can... We're kind of an equal offending opportunity kind of place here. And when you talk about baptism, here's the thing. Everybody has an idea about baptism. But if you're honest, it's, you probably didn't develop your baptism theology based on, uh, based on your study of the New Testament and church history. But it was probably based in the tradition that you grew up in. So what we're going to talk about this morning is just what the Bible says about baptism. And so Peter's standing there with a group of people and says... Uh, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? To which the, the circumcised Jews would go, yeah, we can. Because they've got to be like one of us before they can become one of us. And you think, well, who would act that way? You know, I've actually been at a church before where somebody in the church surrendered their life to Christ and then came to staff on the church and said, hey, I'd like to be baptized. And the response from the staff was, well, you can't. 
because you got baptized in the wrong denomination, and so you can't be baptized in this one now. To which I go, you know what? I read through the book, and I can't even find denomination in the thing, right? And so one of the, one of the blessings of starting a church in Walmart, I don't know if you're re- aware of this, uh, Sam Walton didn't say anything about who could and could not be baptized. Amen? All right? And he didn't know he was in the church planning business, but he was. And so what we've done as we started the church of 1122 is that in, in all these areas, like church governance and uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper and worship and all of those things, we got to start with a clean slate and just go through the New Testament and say, what does the Bible say about whatever it is, all right, uh, pastors and elders or whatever it is. And so uh, what we have decided to do is just to submit what we think to the authority of the Word of God. And so that's what we're going to talk about. We're just going to walk through it. Verse 48, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. He commanded them. So baptism is a command in the Bible to believe and then be baptized. And in Matthew 28, Jesus, it was one of his final commands. In Matthew 28, which is known as the Great Commission, Jesus starts out with, all authority in heaven and earth have been given unto me. So when somebody starts out that way, you're going to want to pay attention to what's next. And what's next is, therefore, go and make disciples to the ends of the earth and do what with them? And baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so baptism is a commandment. So here's the bottom line. Water baptism is the first step of obedience for a disciple of Jesus to publicly declare their faith. So water baptism is the first step of obedience. And so this series is about a rebel's guide to obedience. And so in obedience to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, if you have never been baptized as a believer, one of the first steps of obedience is for you to be baptized. Um, Our statement of faith says this. This is the official Church of 1122 statement of faith that our spiritual formations team put together. And it says this, water baptism is only intended for the individual who has received the saving benefits of Christ's atoning work and become his disciple. Therefore, in obedience to Christ's commands, as a testimony to God, the church, oneself, and the world, a believer should be immersed in water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Water baptism is a visual and symbolic demonstration of a person's union with Christ in the likeness of his death and resurrection. It it signifies that his former way of life has been put to death and vividly depicts a person's release from the mastery of sin. So that's what we're going to talk about for the rest of our time. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing about obedience. Um, We talked about it the first week, that obedience is not rooted in knowledge. Obedience is rooted in trust. Now, it is true that the more you know about something or the more you understand someone or something, then the easier it is to be obedient. Like, for instance, when I was 15 years old and my dad had a curfew for me, I did not understand it. Why? Because I was 15 and I knew everything. Every 15-year-old knows everything. And so I knew I could take care of myself at 2 a.m., right, running the streets. But then as I grew older and I began to understand that that made more sense, and it became easier for me to obey. But again, obedience is not rooted in knowledge. Obedience is rooted in trust. And so... I'm going to try to spend some time here to help you have a greater understanding of what baptism is and whether you should be baptized or not. But regardless of that, the agenda is the same. If Jesus is your Lord and you've never been baptized as a believer, then you need to publicly profess Jesus Christ is your Lord and be baptized, not just because it makes sense to you, but because 
but because you're being obedient to Jesus. And that's, that's why we talk about, because um, again, whenever we talk about baptism, you know, people can get their, their feathers ruffled a little bit, and, and they'll come to me and go, well, here's what I think. And that's okay, you can think whatever you want. But at the Church of 1122, what we try to do here is we take our thoughts and what we think and our traditions and submit them to the authority of the Word of God. And here's what you'll find out, is that when you submit to the authority of God's Word, really what you're doing is you're lining up your life with the way the Creator intended His creation to live. That Creator God actually knows how to live this life that He created. And when you do it God's way, it just works better. And so the first step is not necessarily figuring it all out that it works. The first step is to line your life up in obedience. And so I remember when, for instance, um, I began to, to be convicted to do money God's way. Because I'd been doing money my way or money the world's way. Now, I knew, that, I knew that people said, you know, that you're supposed to tithe at the church. So I thought, well, God's got his part and I got my part. And everybody lives on a percentage of their income. And I was living on about 118%, right? And so you do that for a while and it doesn't go so well. So <clears throat> I was a poor leader in my home and we had uh, $24,000 in credit card debt. And I remember sitting in a sermon one time, and it was actually Pastor Jerry saying, if your financial life is a mess, you can't be a fully devoted follower of Christ. And I thought, uh-oh, I'm on staff, and I'm a mess, all right? And then he said the average credit card household debt in America is $8,000. And the crowd went, ooh. And I went, man, I wish I only had 8000 so what we began to do, before we fully understand, we began to just obey, to submit and obey and just do, do it God's way. And now, not overnight, but over time, we have margin in our life. We're zero debt except our home. We give tithes and above 10%. We give offerings like for compassion or whatever else, you know, building campaign, that kind of thing. And then even above that, we do gifts of generosity. When we see people in need and we're able to help them, we just help them. And so what turns out is that creator God actually knows what he's doing when he commands us to do things. It's actually for our joy because we, we serve a good dad that wants good things for us. Now, can you live outside of that for a while? Can you use your vacuum cleaner as a sledgehammer? A couple times. And then it's just not what it was meant for. And so even if you don't understand, but you just step up in obedience. What you're essentially doing is going, I trust my Lord and Savior. That I don't know why getting in water and getting wet has anything to do with my relationship with Jesus. But he said do it, and he's Lord, and I'm not, so I'm going to. Now, I, I am going to try to increase your depth of knowledge and insight. So I want to talk to you a little bit about what baptism is and isn't, and who should get baptized and when, etc. So you got to know this. That baptism does not save you. That baptism does not save you. So um, it, it is not, uh, baptism in and of itself is not salvific. It doesn't do anything to save you. That's all we talked about last week. That, that there is nothing that we can do to earn God's grace, including baptism. Baptism doesn't make you a Christian. It just proclaims that the world, that you are one. That's what baptism is, that it is a work, it is a good work to proclaim that you know Jesus, not to earn your way to heaven. So just because if, if you're not baptized, that doesn't mean that you're saved, but it also means just because you're baptized, that doesn't mean that you're automatically saved. And so um, 
I can tell you how I know that I know that I know this. There's, a, there's this account of Jesus. He's, been, he's crucified. He's on the cross, and there's thieves on either side of him. And one thief is kind of angry at Jesus and says, all right, if you really are the Son of God, then save yourself and save us with you. And the other thief on the other side goes, dude, you better shut up. This is the Son of God. It's a very loose translation, but it's kind of the gist. This is the Son of God. And, and, and he, says, he says, we deserve what we are getting, but this, this Son of God, he has done nothing to deserve this death. And then he says, Jesus... Please remember me this day when you go before your Father in heaven. And we, and, and you know, Jesus responds, okay, well, I got bad news, all right? Um, unless you get down off the cross and go and get baptized, then you're in trouble. But that's not what he says at all, right? Because it would be kind of difficult. Here's what he says. He says, truly, truly, I say unto you, this day you will be with me in paradise. So if anybody in the Bible makes it into heaven, we know this thief on the cross made it into heaven and he did not get baptized. They couldn't get the whole cross like in the tub. You know what I'm saying? It was impossible. And he didn't come off the cross and get baptized. And we know that he surrendered his life to the lordship of Christ. So we know that it is faith. It is God's grace by faith and not by works, lest nobody boast. So salvation does not save you. And I've heard people say this, well, I don't deserve to be baptized. Right. That's the whole point of your baptism, all right? That you are publicly proclaiming that what Christ did on the cross was sufficient for your righteousness or right standing before God. So if you're trying to get your life worked out before you get in the water, then it's just evidence that you don't understand what you're doing in the first place. That what you're doing is saying, hey, look, I can't do this on my own. That's why I'm publicly proclaiming Jesus as my Savior, because I cannot save myself. And you know what I would say to you? Hey, if you don't think you deserve to be baptized, I promise you, the dude dunking you doesn't deserve to be asking the questions, okay? So I get you. Uh, the, the, the foot of the cross, it is level there. And we all come with a bended, humble knee. And Christ has purchased our righteousness for us so that we know that there's nothing we could do. So baptism, it doesn't save you, but baptism is a public declaration of your personal faith. It's a public declaration of your personal faith. You are telling the world that Jesus is my Lord. Which, by the way, is why we ask you to do the video. All right? Because we want you to share your story, to share how the gospel interrupted your life with people. And listen, I know if we wanted to baptize more people, we just wouldn't do the video. Because I know what's holding you back right now. Some of you are like, well, I love Jesus and I would love to get baptized, but I do not want to see a four-foot version of my head at church one day, all right? And not tough. Here's what you got to do. You need to be obedient to go public with your faith. And some of you say, well, I've updated my Facebook status. That doesn't count, okay? That's not a sacrament in the New Testament. And I need you to share your story. I need you to help me proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. I need you to trust that an almighty sovereign God can use your story whether you're embarrassed by it or whether you were saved from being a good person, whichever one it is, you just got to know that God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can use your words to pierce hearts. And so we need you to do your video. And then I just got to give you a little, um, a little insider tip. Look, our video team is amazing, all right? So they're going to put a filter on it. They're going to shoot you from three or four different angles. If you mess it up, they'll cut that part out. I mean, it'll look incredible. When you watch it, you'll be like, I look good. You don't look good. The video team is awesome, okay? That's what it is. 
And they'll put a little soundtrack behind you, and right when you get to the part, and it'll be the going in, and you'll be like, ah! all right, that's, that's just how they do, all right? That's, that's, that's how they do it. And so you, you got to do your video. We need you to help us proclaim the gospel. And if you'll do a video, then just sharing your story of how the gospel interrupted your life, you know what will happen? You will probably have an opportunity to go public with your faith, to share your faith in Jesus with more people on that day, probably, than you will at any other chance in your life. And let me just turn the knife a little bit here, okay? If you call Jesus your Lord, and you call yourself a Christian, a disciple of Jesus, just know that he died on the cross for you. He wore the crown of thorns. He, he endured the 40 lashes from a cat of nine tails. He hung on a tree with nail-pierced hands and feet. And all of, the, uh, all of the apostles died a martyr's death. Peter was crucified upside down. James was thrown off of the temple, broke his leg, still would not recant that, that he was a disciple of Christ. John was boiled alive. And you have to do a video. So it's not quite, you know, but it's your chance to open your mouth and share your faith. That baptism is a public declaration of personal faith, which, by the way, is why we do not baptize babies. Because a baby can't declare Jesus Christ as their Lord. Now, here's where I'm stepping on the toes. All right. If you got sprinkled as a baby, all right, if you grew up Catholic or Methodist or Lutheran or Episcopalian, and I know there's a ton of Catholics in here, all right? Hey, welcome to church. We're glad you're here, all right? And we know who you are, because when we do communion, you try to take our cup, right? You're like, give me the cup. Like, no, 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 we don't. There's no shares. He's here, okay? It's just one. You're kind of a, that deal. But look, we're glad that you're here. We're so glad you're here. Regardless of your church background, we got a little bit of everybody in here. So here's the thing. If you were sprinkled as a baby, regardless of the denomination, here's what was happening. Your parents were doing a great thing. Are you kidding? They were doing a great thing. They just were... Whatever, they were, the priest or the minister or the pastor said, if you've got babies, this is what we do at our church. And your parents were going, okay, well, that's what we do. Let's line up. You probably didn't do a theological study and church history study on how baby baptism came in to be. You probably didn't understand what paleo-baptism is. You didn't even know that was the word and the difference between that and credo-baptism. But, but what I want to say is it was a good thing. And essentially, I think what your parents were looking to do, or many of you probably have had your, your kids baptized, uh, as children, essentially what you were trying to do is what we just did in the, in the dedication. And that is good and right. And I mean, obviously we're for it. We just did a child dedication. But, but, but that's not what the New Testament calls baptism. Everywhere in the New Testament where someone is baptized, one, there's no babies that were baptized in the Bible in the New Testament. And uh, it's always repent and be baptized. Believe and be baptized. The baptism in the New Testament was that public declaration of that personal relationship. I like to explain it this way. This is my wedding band. This is a public symbol of a personal relationship that I have with Gretchen. And so, um, on the day that we got married, then we were married. And if I never put on a wedding band, that doesn't mean that I don't have a relationship with her. Now, I have some conversations at home with a little bit of noodle neck on why are you going to wear a ring? You know, that kind of thing, but that's different. All right? And if I take the ring off, it doesn't mean I don't have a relationship with her. This is just a declaration to the world. Sorry, ladies, but I'm off the market. All right? And I know how disappointed you must be. All right? So... 
But it's just an outward symbol of a personal relationship. It's my declaration. Now, it also means any single guys in the room, come on, raise your hand. Come on, fellas, I'm trying to help you out, all right? You ought to stand up and be like, right here, right here, all right? All right, listen, raise them again, come on, raise them. All right, so if you are, all right, single guy right here in about the fourth row, if you were to put on my wedding band, that doesn't mean that you have a relationship with my wife, right? Oh, you wish, but no, sir, no, sir, that's mine, all right? Boom, right there. So, just because you get baptized doesn't mean you have a relationship with Jesus. It's a public declaration of a personal faith. And so, we often get this question. All right, Pastor, I was sprinkled as a baby at whatever my denomination was. Does that mean I now need to be baptized as a believer? Yes, because that's what baptism is. Um, When we get to to Acts chapter 19, what we're going to find... You know, we'll be there in like two or three years. And uh, when we get there, we're going to find the Apostle Paul goes to Ephesus, and there are some guys that had been baptized in the name of John the Baptizer, Jesus' first cousin. And after they got baptized by John, um, they hadn't met Jesus yet, and they go to Ephesus, and they're preaching. Everybody get ready. The Messiah is coming. Well, the Apostle Paul shows up in Ephesus, and he goes, hey, do you guys have the Holy Spirit? And the guys go, who's the Holy Spirit? And so then Paul knows he's got to back up, and he goes, well, who have you? In what name were you baptized? And these guys in Ephesus say, well, we were baptized in the name of John the baptizer. And so Paul basically says, well, I got good news and bad news. The good news is the Messiah has come. The bad news is you guys are really late because not only has he shown up, but he's lived. He did his ministry. He died on the cross as a substitutionary atoning death for our sins. He's been buried. He's resurrected and ascended into heaven. And so you guys need to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then Paul rebaptizes these men as Christians. And so um, you, if you were sprinkled as a kid or whatever, and, and you were not publicly professing your faith in Jesus, then you need to be baptized as a believer. And just, if you've got some, uh, if you've got some church background, oftentimes the question of uh, church membership comes up. All right, I wasn't raised in church. I was raised fishing, praise God. But, so here's, in this spring, we are gonna be offering church membership classes. And if you would like to be a covenant member of the Church of 1122, you'll go through these classes and you'll understand that it's not membership like you get a little key card, you know, and you get half-off Bibles and free coffee or anything. No, no privileges. It's just that you are partnering with us to shoulder some of the responsibility of this faith family called the Church of 1122. And so some folks will ask about baptism. What? Do you have to be baptized to be a member? So here's the thing. We expect all of our covenant members to be baptized as believers. So that doesn't mean you have to be baptized at this church. But if you were baptized as a believer, regardless of mode, okay, whether you got sprinkled or poured on or shot with a water gun or dunked or it was in the Jordan or in the pool, it doesn't matter. But as long as you were professing Christ as your Savior, you were baptized as a believer then, then that's what we're talking about as far as becoming a member here of this church. Now, why do we dunk people? Because you've got to admit, it'd be a lot easier if we just did the sprinkle thing, right? You see that big old contraption we have to bring out here to do baptism? Well, here's why. The word baptize in the Bible comes from a Greek word, baptizo. Say baptizo. You're so smart, learning Greek, all right? Not a lot of churches get to do that. So baptizo literally means in Greek, to dip, dunk, submerge, or wash. That's what it means. To dip, dunk, submerge, 
or washed. That's just what the word means. And so, um, uh, there's some places in the Bible where they actually just translate it, submerge or wash. Like when the Pharisees are getting mad at Jesus because he does not baptizo his hands before he eats. And so what they were not saying in, in, in our Bibles is translated to wash. Jesus, you don't wash your hands, ceremonially wash your hands before you eat. And that did not mean that Jesus had to go over to the, to the urn and, and like go, I baptize you in the name of me, you know, and before he could eat. That's not what it meant. It just means to dip, dunk, submerge, or wash. So the reason that it's translated as baptize instead of dip, dunk, submerge, or wash is because when the Bible was getting translated into English, the Roman Catholic Church had already decided their theology of baptism. And it was, we're going to sprinkle babies. Well, when you get to this word, it's kind of problematic, especially when you tell the king, James, yeah, you didn't do this right, king. So instead of translating word for word, they transliterated letter for letter. So beta went to B and alpha went to A and all the way. So baptizo becomes baptized. But it wasn't even a religious word. It just meant dip, dunk, submerge, or wash. So Josephus, this first century historian, he writes a recipe book, right? He's also a historian, but in his free time, he's writing this recipe book. And he writes a recipe on how to make pickles. And so he says, the way you make a pickle is you take a cucumber and you baptizo it in vinegar for two days. So when it dies, it goes to heaven. No, it just meant to dip, dunk, submerge. And so when we baptize people, it's, then we dip, dunk, submerge, wash. That's what we do. Now, if there was a person that could not do that, then we would just, you know, pour whatever it took. The mode isn't quite as important. It's that public declaration of Jesus. And a part of why we do it is because it is symbolic of the gospel. That a baptism in and of itself is a picture of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you've got you've to understand this, that the idea or the availability of people just being able to walk around with their very own copy of the Bible translated into a language that you could understand or an app on your phone to download or the accessibility that we have to your very own Bible. It's, it's a very recent phenomenon in church history, in human history. That for, for over 1,500 years, the gospel was going out, but people didn't have access to the written gospel. And so a part of what baptism is, it's a picture of the gospel. In Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, Paul says it this way. He says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so, when you see someone baptized, you are seeing the gospel proclaimed for the glory of God. That that person walks into the water, regardless of where the water is, whether it was a lake or a river or a pool or our baptismal tub or the ocean. That they walk in and, and the pastor asks, who is Jesus? And they publicly proclaim, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And then the pastor, just like commanded in Matthew 28, says something like, Upon your public proclamation of Jesus Christ as Lord, I baptize you, my Christian brother or sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then you go from standing on your own, and you are dead to yourself. It is a picture of Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So you are dying to yourself. 
Now, this has already happened between you and Jesus, but you were going public with this physical demonstration of what that looked like. And you die to yourself, and you're buried in that watery grave. And, and a part of what the water represents is the movement of the Holy Spirit in your life, and that the blood of the Lamb has cleansed you of all of your sins. And sometimes you've heard us joke around, like if you're a real bad sinner, we'll kind of hold you under longer and, you know, wash out the sin a little better. So that's funny, but it's just not true at all, right? That once and for all, Christ died for all of your sins, your past, present, future sins. It's all, you, your sins were like scarlet, and he has washed you white as snow. And that washing has happened. In the Old Testament, the waters represented the judgment of God. So like, you know, that classic uh, children's tale about God pouring out his wrath through 40 days of flood with Noah gets the animals on the ark two by two and we share that with our children and we've made it a children's tale. We, we like to leave out the part about the wrath of God killing all of humanity and the dead bloated bodies floating around, right? But I don't know how that became a children's tale. I encourage you to share it with your children so next time there's like a real downpour, right? And just share with them about God's wrath on this evil nation. I think it's raining. Good night. All right. But it was, it was a demonstration of the wrath of God, of the judgment of God. Or like when Moses takes the children of Israel out of Egypt and they're crossing the Red Sea on dry ground. And then when Pharaoh's army gets there, the judgment of the Red Sea, the waters collapse upon them. So it's a picture of the wrath of God. And you are submerged and really deserving of God's wrath because our sin against an almighty and sovereign God. And yet, because the old you is dead and you have been made new because Christ lives in you if you were a disciple of his then what, what you deserve, Christ took on the cross. That we deserve God's wrath, but, but 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made him who was without sin to be sin for us so that we could be made the righteousness of God. And so that Christ endured that, and when you die to yourself in baptism, then because of Christ, because we have been imputed with his righteousness and he has been imputed with God's wrath or our sinfulness, then we get to join with him in resurrection and come up out of the water unscathed by the judgment of God, but we stand righteous before him and we walk in newness of life. Now, if we explain all that every time, you know, I don't know you'd make it. You might go straight to heaven from there. So that's what it is. It's a picture of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then when you walk out of that water, again, it's just water, but it is a declaration that I will never be the same. Not because of anything I have done, but because of what Christ has done for me and in me. And a part of what, a part of what God likes to do with his children is God loves to create memories for us. In the Old Testament, anytime something awesome happened where God moved, they would build an altar. Altar. You know, like, like Jacob wrestled God, and he comes away with a limp, and so he makes this altar. Or, or when Moses takes the children of Israel through the Red Sea, and he builds his altar. The reason is so that generations could teach the new generations about God's movement in their history. So that when they came up on the altar, that a dad could tell a son, oh, this is where God moved in a special way. That's a part of why God wants you to, to be baptized so that it would, be like this, it would be like this hook that you can hang your hat on and you can know on that day I went public with my faith. And I had already been a Christian. I was already saved. But in that moment in the water, I was publicly proclaiming. And for the glory of God, I was demonstrating the gospel to all of the church family that showed up to celebrate. That I was dying to myself. That my sins had been washed away. I've received forgiveness. And I was resurrected to newness in life. And so that's why you need to be baptized if you're a believer. And so what I want you to do is I want you to sign up for the next baptism class. It's right there in your notes, all right? 
you can just go to coe22.com slash baptism and you can sign up. Or if you can't figure that out or you don't have a smartphone or whatever, uh, then at the Connect Center at the end of the service, you can just go there and they'll get you signed up. And then on June the 2nd, we're going to have a baptism celebration, public. And it's going to be awesome. We're going to do it in the ocean. We're going to do it at the beach, right? And we're going to make a day of this thing because we're a family. And we've got to have like a family reunion, all right? Don't you have to do that? And so what we're going to do is when 1122 gets out on June the 2nd, we're going to give you a little time to go home and get ready. And we're going to meet at the beach at 2 or 2.30. We'll determine what time. But we don't want to just show up and cheer on the people who get baptized and head home. We wanted you to bring your tents and your chairs and your picnics and your kids. And if you're a surfer, every time we do baptism, the waves are great, all right? It's God's blessing upon us. So bring your board, and we're just all going to show up and hang out together. And, I mean, there's the potential of three or 4,000 people hanging out. And we're just going to hang out for the day and get to know each other and celebrate the goodness of God. Acts 14, 27 says... And when they gathered the church together, they celebrated all that God had done because he had opened the doorway of faith to the Gentiles. And that's what we're going to do. And it's right at the end of that series. We're going to gather us all together in June. The water temp's great. We're going to go down there, and we're going to celebrate it together. And so, about a year ago, on February the 7th of last year, JP's sitting on the couch, and I come sit down next to him and start talking about whatever. And he starts asking me questions about eternity and salvation. And, you know, it's very existential questions like, so, Dad, if people don't love Jesus, they go to hell? I say, yep, that's what the Bible says. And he goes, well, when God's dropping you off there, what if you don't land, like, in the lava, but you land on one of the rocks? Is it not as bad, not as hot, right? So we're just talking about uh, the realities of eternity. (laughs) And so as we start talking about what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be a Christian, um, I'm very careful not to get my six-year-old just to repeat after me because... I don't want him to get to 16 and think that a decision at 6 wasn't real. So I'm really trying to talk him out of it, all right? And I'm, I'm talking, I mean, you can imagine this conversation. I'm talking about penal substitutionary atonement and double imputation and, you know, God's wrath upon his son Jesus on the cross, and, and, and we're made righteous through that. And it gets to the point where Jesus says, Daddy, I'm, I, I want to ask Jesus to come into my heart. He says, all right, buddy, let's do this. And we knelt down beside the couch, and he prayed, Dear Jesus... Would you come into my heart as my forever friend? Now, we don't do forever friend at my house. We do penal substitutionary atonement, okay, because we're theologically accurate. But his children's workers, when we were at Beach, they used forever friend to help communicate what it means for a six-year-old or a kid to surrender their life to the Lordship of Christ. And when we got finished, he just started going, yes, yes, Dad, I did it, yes. And I'm going, actually, Jesus did it, but, you know, you received it, but that's okay. And then he goes, can we tell mom when she gets home? I go, absolutely. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to tell people. So we tell mom, and we go, yay. And then he turns into a little evangelist. He runs up to Reagan. He goes, Reagan, say this. Say, dear Jesus, dear Jesus, I want to ask you to come in my heart. I want to ask you to come in my heart. And then he starts running the house going, she did it. She did it. We're all going to heaven. All right. So now, you know what? I do not want to steal from JP. I don't want to steal from him the opportunity for him to decide to walk into the waters. And, and, I mean, come on, how cool is this? I'll get to baptize him. And he will walk into those waters, whether it's the beach or the pool here, whatever it is. And I'll ask him, JP, who is Jesus? And he'll get to say, Jesus is my Lord. And when he does, I'm going to quote God. I'm going to say, behold, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. 
And when you walk into those waters and you claim Jesus is your Lord and Savior, I'm telling you, you might not hear it, but the heavens open up. And your father says, behold, this is my son or daughter in whom I am well pleased. And so you, if you've never done that as a believer, you need to publicly demonstrate the gospel and publicly profess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And maybe... Maybe you're a guest here. Maybe you can come in for a little while, but you've never received forgiveness because you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you thought you had to do something to earn it. Well, the good news of the gospel, he's already purchased your forgiveness. He wants to give it to you as a gift if you'll receive it and surrender your life to Christ. And then after you do that, you should tell the world by getting baptized. Would you please bow your heads? If you're here this morning and you are ready to surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ, not by anything I've said, but because the Holy Spirit is doing a work in your heart and you are ready to surrender. Would you raise your hand right where you are and say, Lord, I surrender my life to Christ. Jesus, I am no longer Lord of my life, but you are Lord of my life. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you and we praise you for this day. God, we pray that you have been glorified by the proclamation of your gospel. God, by the singing of praises to your name. God, by the dedication of these families to partner with this church to raise these kids In the name of Jesus Christ, God, we thank you and we stand amazed for all the incredible works that you have been doing in us and among us and through us and to us. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you would stand as we respond, we respond to the gospel because God initiates and we respond. And you can do that by bringing your tithes and offerings to one of the boxes located all over the room near the doors. You can go to the giving kiosk and respond that way. You can respond by coming to the altar. Maybe some of you are wrestling through some fear about getting baptized and you need to come lay that at the altar because God did not give us the spirit of fear or timidity, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. And so you can come and lay that down at the altar. And then we can all join together in responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ by singing. So let us respond.